Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Thursday, November 16th. I'm Hannah Floor. The CEO of Petersburg's hospital will receive national recognition today for his contributions to rural health care. Phil Hofstetter was named the state's 2023 Community Star by the National Organization of State Offices of Rural Health. For over a decade, the organization has celebrated National Rural Health Day on the third Thursday of November to bring attention to rural health care needs. They also recognize one person from each state who helps advance the health care needs of the nearly 61 million people living in rural America. Hofstetter says the impact of working in a rural facility like Petersburg Medical Center is deeply meaningful to him, especially following an incident on Monday night when PMC staff had to treat and medevac four U.S. Coast Guard personnel after their helicopter crashed in a remote area. The level of teamwork that I saw our staff do and, and just how we have to respond to many different kinds of things and collaborate with other partners in the community. The Community Star Recognition Program is honoring Hofstetter for his work to advance local health care through several community wellness programs. These include Kinderskog, a nature-based youth program that PMC began hosting last year. Hofstetter says he's grateful for the awards, but he says that... Just like the hospital's response to the helicopter crash, PMC's youth programs are also a team effort. I mean, I am very, very grateful to receive the award and the recognition, but really it is the people doing those programs that I want to acknowledge, but it it really comes back to the people in the community running those programs. Hofstetter will be showcased today alongside other awardees from across the nation on the Community Star Recognition Program's website. More information about National Rural Health Day and the award can be found at powerofrural.org. Two of the Coast Guard crew members who were involved in a helicopter crash in southeast Alaska late Monday night were released from the hospital yesterday. According to a Coast Guard press release, the other two crew members with severe injuries remain hospitalized in Washington state, but their conditions have improved. The crew from Air Station Sitka was on a search and rescue mission responding to a fishing boat that was taking on water near Farragut Bay, about 20 miles northwest of Petersburg, when their helicopter crashed on Reed Island. While Petersburg's search and rescue team and Coast Guard crews responded to the downed helicopter, the Coast Guard cutter Elderberry oversaw the dewatering of the fishing vessel Lydia Marie and escorted the boat back to Petersburg. The Coast Guard has not released the names of the crew members or any information on what may have caused the crash. The weather conditions at the time of the accident included reduced visibility in the area from rain and snowstorms and up to 45-mile-per-hour winds. An investigation into the crash is ongoing. Scientists say marine heat waves are the cause behind Alaska's snow crab crash. That's according to a new study published by a group of scientists with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. From Unalaska, Maggie Nelson reports that more heat waves and crashes are likely in the future. About five years ago, NOAA scientists caught record high numbers of snow crab in their surveys. But by 2021, those numbers had plummeted. More than 10 billion crab had vanished from the eastern Bering Sea. Now, NOAA fishery scientists say they've pinpointed the cause for the disappearance. The culprit, they say, a marine heat wave in the region from 2018 to 2019. It was really starvation mediated by temperature that caused the the collapse. That's Mike Litzo. 
He's a co-author of the study and the director of NOAA's Kodiak Lab. Really, the crab were not able to get the food they needed. You know, they were just outstripping the, the resources that were available to them. According to Litzo and his fellow researchers, the crab population faced a triple threat that set them up for failure. First, higher temperatures meant increased metabolism, so they needed more food. On top of that, there was less space for them to forage that food. And finally, the crab were just smaller than usual. Researchers considered a number of possible causes for the disappearance, including predation from other animals, bycatch, cannibalism, as well as fishing. The take-home message is really that none of those other proposed mechanisms um, explains the collapse with the data we have. Litzel says it's tough to know what the collapse from increased ocean temperatures could mean for other species, but it's safe to say we'll probably see more marine heat waves like this. And they're likely to be bigger and more frequent as the world continues warming. More carbon dioxide in the atmosphere means warmer temperatures, which is bad news for the cold-loving snow crab. And more greenhouse gases also mean more acidic oceans, which can also be dangerous for some crab. And carbon dioxide that we release through fossil fuels is also taken up by the oceans and has the effect of, of reducing the pH of the ocean, makes it more acidic. Because crab use um, calcium carbonate in their in their exoskeleton, um, they're vulnerable to that acidification because calcium carbonate dissolves more and more easily as pH goes down. The good news, at least for snow crab, is they're not as sensitive to ocean acidification as other species. In our lab in Kodiak, we've run um, a bunch of different studies over the years looking at different crab species and different uh, ages, life history stages, in terms of how vulnerable they are to, to acidification. And the good news is it looks like snow crab are one of the more resilient species. Like we don't see a strong effect for snow crab the way we do for um, red king crab or the way we do for tanner crab. Alaska's snow crab fishery has been closed for two years. Regulators originally shut down the fishery in 2022 due to historically low stocks. The snow crab crash in combination with a two-year closure of Bristol Bay Red King crab was a devastating blow to Alaska's lucrative crab fishery. And it's left some coastal communities and fishermen looking to other sources of income. While the bigger picture is still pretty grim, crab have been declining in Alaska since about the early 80s, Litzel says there's still lots of cold water in Alaska's seas. And with it, Hope for the spindly crustaceans. I mean, snow crab have bounced all over the place. Historically, there have been ups and downs. There have been previous overfished declarations. And we're certainly hopeful as we see smaller crabs showing up in the survey in 2022 and 2023. You know, we're hoping that there will be rebuilding the fishery over the short term. Litzo says this crash really blindsided Alaska's industry. And more similar surprises are likely on their way. He says the more dependent a community or fishermen are to a single fishery, the more vulnerable they'll be. Reporting for KUCB, I'm Maggie Nelson. Ketchikan has been seeing more emergency calls in recent years. The local emergency planning commission discussed the increased volume at a meeting last week. As KRBD's Jack Darrell reports, the local fire chief thinks the increase is connected to the town's aging population and to tourists. More ambulance calls. It's something Rick Hines, city's fire chief, is grappling with. So there's a lot of challenges with the increased call volume and limited personnel. He says the calls are for any number of things. The day before, he responded to a cat that was stuck in the dash of a car. Don't worry, the cat is fine. 
He does attribute the increase in call-outs to a couple possibilities, though. He says there's about one house fire a month on average in Ketchikan. There are more drug overdoses, though. And one of the big ones, Ketchikan's aging population. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the people in Ketchikan above the age of 65 increased by a little over 75% in the last decade. That's more than any other population group or the state average. Pair that with more tourists, Heinz says, and it puts a real strain on the department. So the struggle with us is to provide the best service possible to our year-round residents or the people that live here, while also being able to service those coming in to enjoy our city. And it can often result in multiple calls at once. I think uh, there's a couple times last year that we had seven emergency calls occurring at the same time in our city. And when that happens... The fire department sends a page to off-duty crew members to respond to those additional calls. He says the guys need those days off to catch up on sleep and, you know, do the things we all need to do on our days off. Ketchikan is expecting many days of more than 19,000 visitors next season. Hines believes that number is pretty conservative. Like, for one thing, they don't account for all of the crew members that are getting off the boats and heading into town. So some of the lessons we learned is when a cruise ship, they'll dock and they'll call us and say, hey, we got three patients that need to go to the hospital. Instead of utilizing three ambulances, we'll send one ambulance crew and they'll make an assessment on the criticality of all three of those patients. Hines says the fire department is working with the South Tongass Fire Department and the Emergency Planning Commission to put these lessons into action. They're also trying hard to increase their volunteer ranks ahead of the first cruise ship, expected to be making port in April. In Ketchikan, I'm Jack Darrell. The Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute held its all-hands-on-deck conference in Anchorage this month. Some top experts in the seafood industry attended and spoke on the future of the seafood market. Kirsten Dobroth is the Alaska reporter for Undercurrent News, a commercial fishing and seafood trade magazine. She was at the conference and sat down with Brian Venois to chat about the state of the seafood industry. So, Kirsten, this was ASME's annual meeting. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like? What would you say were some of the overarching themes at the conference? Well, the big consensus was definitely how bad market conditions are across Alaska's fisheries right now. There's been a lot of attention on low base prices paid out to fishermen for salmon this year. But I think it's worth pointing out that ex-vessel and wholesale prices, so that's money paid to harvesters and then money that's paid to processors for bulk product, They're at some of the lowest levels they've been at in decades, if not ever, across multiple species in Alaska, including salmon. Prices have crashed across the pollock sector and also for typically really lucrative species like sablefish or black cod. So that really set the tone for the conference. So would you say that was kind of like the elephant in the room? Oh, definitely. I heard the situation compared probably a dozen times to a term fishermen in Alaska are familiar with. A willowa, which is kind of like a violent storm that comes down to the sea suddenly from the mountains. ASME's board of directors published an open letter before the conference even began citing what they called extraordinary circumstances that have led to this price collapse. In the letter, they said fishermen were having trouble making boat payments right now. On the other hand, processors are also struggling with cash flow. It painted a pretty dire picture, and that was really a pervasive theme at this conference, both how to navigate this historic situation that's hitting pretty much every species in Alaska, and then what the year ahead might look like. 
And to zoom in a little bit, salmon fishers especially have been pretty outspoken about frustration over pricing this year, mm-hmm. and processors have been pretty quick to blame those low prices on huge hauls over the last few years. How much is that playing into things, and are there any updates on moving that older inventory? Yeah, both of those things, huge harvests and leftover inventory, has continued to be difficult. And again, not just for salmon, but there are a lot of market conditions that are making moving that product really tough. Inflation is a huge one. One analyst who presented at the ASME conference pointed out that grocery prices are up 30% since before the pandemic. Other panelists at the event talked about struggles with the Japanese economy. That's been a big trading partner for the Alaska seafood industry. The ASME Board of Directors letter I mentioned before also outlined ongoing effects of the trade war with China. Um, That's also historically been a big market for seafood products from Alaska. Russian had big harvests of pollock and pink salmon this year, just like in Alaska. Another big takeaway from the conference is that consumers have just changed since the pandemic, and that also presents a real challenge. And you kind of mentioned these trade wars, and especially let's talk about the one with Russia. There's been a lot of finger-pointing at them and their role in this. Alaska's congressional delegation has said part of the issue is that while Russia's embargoed American seafoods, U.S. consumers are still buying Russian products after they get processed in places like China. Right. Senators Murkowski and Sullivan and Representative Peltola have continued a pretty united push to close this processing loophole you mentioned of Russian seafood, which is banned in the U.S., entering the domestic market by way of processing facilities in China. They have reiterated that demand in interviews and at every gathering of seafood industry people I've been to this year, including during pre-taped remarks at the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute conference. Senator Dan Sullivan's office has indicated recently there's been some progress with that, but Congress is also on a time crunch to fund the government by November 17th, so it's unclear what will happen by then. Yeah, and uh, ASME's focus is obviously marketing and stirring demand, including developing stronger consumer bases here in the states. Have you heard of any interesting efforts or bold strategies to build more interest either domestically or internationally? Well, a bright spot domestically is purchases from the U.S. Department of Agriculture for domestic food aid programs. So far, USDA has purchased more than $200 million worth of mostly Alaskan pollock and salmon products this year. But there's also been a push across the industry, and this is domestically and internationally, to increase some sort of Alaska or product of USA labeling standard. And that was a big conversation piece at the conference. Several analysts who study consumer behavior told attendees that people look for products that say they're wild caught or Alaskan when they're in the store. And it's worth um, in that same point to point out that Senator Murkowski has also been very vocal about creating some sort of an Alaska-specific brand. So with all this said, what do you think were some of the most important things for our listeners, especially fishermen, that they need to know about ASME's efforts and kind of the state of seafood markets in general? Well, one thing that came up several times, including during ASME's board of directors meeting the last day of the conference, was the need to better communicate with the fleet, both market conditions so commercial fishermen know what to expect and also what's actually happening to market Alaska seafood products. But like I said before, this is a really tough time for the entire industry. Prices are down for just about everyone. And I think the biggest takeaway that I heard was that there are a lot of people working on how to get through it. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today, Kirsten. Thanks, Brian. That was Undercurrent News' Alaska reporter Kirsten Dobras speaking with KRBD's Brian Venois. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.